Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop, and I am here today with couture designer, Charles Liu. Charles, welcome so much. Thanks for being on Fashion Talks today. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) Now, many people might know you from the popular Netflix show, Next in Fashion, which we'll totally get to in a little while. But I want to start closer to the beginning of your journey. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're from, what your family makeup was like, and what you were like when you were a little boy. Okay, so I went, I grew up in Hamilton, Ontario, and I was split between kind of the, the areas of Hamilton and Stony Creek growing up. Um, I went to Carlton Newman, and my parents are Vietnamese. They came here, oh my gosh, they came in the 70s because of the war, about 40 years ago. Um, so they're refugees, so I had that growing up. I always had that in the background, this kind of um, cross-cultural uh, upbringing, which, you know, it, it was very interesting, and it made me learn. Of, it made me compare both cultures in a very interesting way, and I think that really developed my character as a person. I think a lot of people who come from, um, you know, who are, who, whose families come from different countries and their first generation here, they can relate to that a lot. Um, so I think that had a huge part of my upbringing as a person. Um, what are the other questions? Sorry, I go off. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. What were you like as a little kid? What were you like as a little boy? Well, people watch the show and they think I was very outgoing because I, I like to get my point across. Um, but I was not, I was super shy. Uh, I, I didn't hang out with a lot of friends after school. Um, and some vacations I didn't see my friends from school, um, growing up in elementary, uh, and I think it was high school is when I really started to come out of my shell and kind of figure out who I was. Um, it was also a more nurturing environment. Um, my school didn't really promote the arts, I would say, in terms of like the career path afterwards. It was more like solid careers, right? Because they want you to be, they want you to be established adults. Um, but there's really no framework for creativity as a designer, I would say, in a small town. It just doesn't happen, you know? Because there's just not a lot of people who end up in that field. Uh, but was I would say fashion, was fashion yeah. a part of your life when you were a teenager? Uh, for myself, no, I would say because I I went to like you had to wear uniforms at my school, which is why I don't wear red anymore. <laughs> I, uh, I it's just not a color for me, even though like uh, I'm like part very small part Chinese and like we really like red as a color. I just I can't I can't. Um, but uh, I explored fashion later on. I think I started uh, dipping into, I started designing clothes. I think I want to say when I was, I, I used to draw a lot of dresses in ECE, kindergarten, elementary, and paint them. But I didn't really uh, play with the medium officially until I say 10 years old. It was like my, when I made my first garments. And wow. Just, uh, yeah. Who was your first client at 10 years old? Oh, no one. My first no, client no, was no, probably my, it was probably like my Sailor Moon Barbie, like my Sailor Moon doll, which I had to get from the thrift store and I made clothes for her. And then she mysteriously disappeared one day. Um, but then, you know, uh, I, my first fashion show was like 12 or 13. And that's when I really started to play around with things and then just never went away. When do you think you realized that that fashion was more than just, you know, clothes that covered your body or like, when did you first realize the, the, the power that one could harness from this thing called fashion? 
I think we all have different mediums of expression in this world. And I was super unhappy at points in my life. And fashion always was like an escape form. It was always something I looked to um, as a medium of creation and of expressing myself. And I always envied those people who could do it so flawlessly. And I always looked up, I always looked up to the larger designers because it was just so far removed from like where I was. It was like, it was something I could never touch. So it was something to aspire to. Um, not so much for me from a, a vanity point of view, but I had so much to say as a kid. And I was like not allowed to say it in my school, in my hometown, in my city. And I think when you, it's very much like with the situation that's going on right now, when you have, when you have, you really need to express yourself and you're, you're stuck in this environment that doesn't allow that, you know, it either you, you go two ways, either you go full on out or you suppress it. And I was just so done with suppressing it. And fashion was a great, you know, catalyst. And um, it just allowed me to say everything I wanted to say without having to open my mouth all the time. Do you remember an outfit that maybe you decided to wear or do you envision yourself in a particular outfit when you think of that time in your life when you're like, forget it, I'm just going to like let it out and use this tool to yeah. express myself? Is there an image of yourself that you Yeah, 100%. It's funny. Um, so after, like, teenage years, super awkward, like, asymmetrical haircut, I looked like Rihanna, and, like, Posh Spice had a baby, but then, like, something really wrong happens, so I end up looking like a scene kid. It was really strange, and I, I, I experimented with a lot of color because I didn't know how to play with it personally. I knew how to design it, but I didn't understand it from a personal perspective, and I still have a weird relationship with color to this day. <laughs> so... I went to London, and I think my first two years, it was a three-year program. I went to Instituto Marangoni in London, and I, had, I met the most fabulous people. And I met two characters who dressed all black every day. And one day, I just decided to try it out. And then I wore black, and I just felt so powerful. It was the first time I ever wore full, full black. And I just felt like this is this is it. And I started. I and I. The, the reason why I like that too is just such a powerful color on me, and it's such a blank canvas. Mm -hmm. But it's such a. It's like the devoid of color. So you, even though it makes, I when I wear black, I feel like I I blend into the background. But I play with so many textures and so many ways of expression because I'm greedy. I need to say everything all at once, and like I like I want everything in one color or two colors, right? Um, it's kind of geared off in a different direction now and I kind of because that was like kind of someone lighting a fire and now a lot of what I feel comfortable in the way I express is black and white which is why I call myself the panda or like a lot of people call them and I love that because it's like adorable squishy and like a little bit severe yeah a little bit um, fierce a little bit yeah like a little bit fierce and they're kind of like they're strange animals because like <laughs> biologically their bodies don't make sense to how they act so I feel like that's like the perfect descriptive of me but yeah. what was it like living in London England coming from Hamilton Ontario let me tell you if you've never left your hometown you need to because <laughs> I have never been anywhere else except for like I don't know like going across the border to go shopping and so all of a sudden I was 18, like didn't know how to do my laundry, got on a flight. My sister helped me acclimate for like two months, uh, two weeks, sorry. And then I was left to my own devices and I was petrified because I was like, I didn't, I, I was like, I didn't know how to take in the new world. And it was a brand new world. Um, 
and it, it really forces you to grow very quickly and it forces you to take in different perspectives. And I think those who have lived abroad more can uh, have, a, have a stronger sense of empathy for the world. And I think it, it pushed me further, further to be a better designer too, because it makes you, you, it makes you think the way other people want to think. Or, or the other way that people think and their their upbringings. And because I was surrounded by everybody that had the same upbringing as me. The only difference was I was you know, Asian background. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden I was meeting people like, oh, I've traveled five different places, lived in this many places. Or uh, like I met an Italian couple, uh, an Italian and French couple when they first met, they didn't even know how to communicate with each other. And so you, you, you're really opened up to this brand new world. And how did that inform your designs as you were in school there? Did you feel a part of you opening up or a way to think about the the human form or your form in different ways as this kind of like explosion of just other information is like coming at you? Really, It was overwhelming because my, my godfather, rest in peace, Bernie Morelli, actually counselor, uh, for uh, Hamilton Ward III. Um, he always said to my parents, he's like, you're about, like, your son is about to be in a, like, a small fish in a very big pond. And I always kept it in the back of my head, which always kept me kind of humble in a way, because all of a sudden, I felt like I had too much to express being back in uh, Canada. And then moving to London, I had no way of uh, organizing the way I had, I expressed myself. And uh, I think uni actually helped me kind of uh, gather my thoughts to work together in a very organized way. And I, I again, felt like an under, I felt not fitting in Canada. And all of a sudden I felt like an underdog. You know, people came from very wealthy backgrounds or like people have been designing for much I would say much longer, but they've had a uh, formal training because my formal training was very much like me trying to figure out how garments were made by like studying pictures off eBay because you could, I didn't have access to these designer dresses. So I, I, I learned how to self-research in that way. Um, but the greatest feeling was when I went to my school was the sense of acceptance I had, not just because it was the school, but because all of a sudden, like, People didn't ask if you were gay in school. They asked you if you were straight because literally they were filled with straight, with gay people. And like the girls would just be all like really desperate and thirsty because they had nowhere to be in <laughs> I'm like, how does it feel? <laughs> Hello, other half, yes. <laughs> yeah. So that was, a, that was a, that, that itself is just like an altered, like a parallel universe, right? Um, it just sounds like there's, there was such like, paradoxes that were shifting for you like going from one kind of like small town reality to like one of the meccas of the world in terms of immigration and culture Mm -hmm. and history like london is the place of vivian westwood and alexander mcqueen and dandies and and all of that is is seeping into every cell of your being as you're going to design school there yeah um it's a wealth of knowledge and I don't think I ever took that for granted because even on my days off, I would spend hours at the museum. And for the majority, they're free. So to look, to be able to walk from one side of London to other and just take in and absorb so much culture, I was like a walking sponge every day. And like, it was never, it was never too much for me. Um, and I think that has very much to do with just the, 
the cultural history it has and how old it is and how, and the patron uh, patronage to the arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's more emotional, I would say. There, it's it's everything is there is to a more extreme form. You're partying harder, you're studying harder, you're working harder, and you're and the culture is just in your face. Uh, it's a lot to live up to. I think I left at the right time, though. I would say just because I would say London can make you very hard as a person, and uh, you start to develop this kind of like. Uh, it's a very street smart, like fighter mentality, and you absolutely need that in fashion. Except, like you know, deep down inside, I was still a very small town boy, so I was like super sensitive. So, like, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's these multiple sides of me that are kind of it confuses me, to be honest. But it's this person who like needs to be around people and needs to express and needs to be, you know. But there's also that person that needs to recharge, and he feels overwhelmed and uh, like. You know, I have the craft which which speaks for itself, but I always feel like I need validation from that work because I'm 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 not that person that says like this is this is amazing. My work is amazing. I'm always questioning when you can make it better, and I think when you become too comfortable, that's when uh, I think you should always feel a little bit uncomfortable, and that's when uh, good design happens. Did you do your first runway show in London? I wouldn't say, like, not my first official. I had, uh, my first fashion show was, like, 12 years old. So I had, like, a runway at, like, elementary school. It was all recycled materials and, like, things I found around my father's workplace. Like, I would steal, like, mesh, like, uh, what was it, like, window? Like, you know, the sliders? But yeah, I would yeah. steal that mesh. I made a dress out of it. And he, like, yelled at me because he didn't know where it went. They couldn't, like, take the dress apart. <laughs> and uh, I also, like, made a dress with playing cards. It was, like, this whole spiel. And that's what really uh, promoted me. To, uh, like it could have started that whole cycle of like needing the adrenaline of the runway show. It's a, it's a bit antiquated in my opinion, the runway, but it it, it's, uh, it carries a lot of uh, power and as a designer. And I think my like first first runway in London was when I had like my graduate fashion show and I opened up the year, um, and that was really that was really a big moment for me. Um, my design has since changed. <laughs> but you know. Are you a little nostalgic about the the runway show since COVID? Like, I don't, I don't know if we'll see those sorts of of runway shows again, and certainly for some time. I think the bigger question we have to ask ourselves is, like, this antiquated idea of fashion and this like dreamlike space that we, like, I don't always think fashion is super fun anymore and I think it needs to be fun and I think um there's a lot of pretentiousness in fashion which I just like a lot of my designs especially the, my old couture work in Dubai looks like a lot of beadwork a lot of work into it but like I hate I always hated that side of fashion where if you wear something it means you're you're better than somebody else I never related to that and I think uh, we need to rework the system and we need to rework a way of uh, making these dresses, making these garments and these clothes not accessible. I know it's like, accessible is not the right word because not everything is accessible, but it's just like more relatable as humans, I would say. I just, and I think we really need to, we need to start, stop like disregarding the intelligence of our own clients. I I, what I kind of hear you saying is wanting to take the status out of fashion. 
in a way. Yeah, kind of. I mean, there will, you can't, like, it's funny. It's a double-edged sword. I, because I think we should all aspire to look, uh, and, and, uh, like, look at art and see art. And it's, fashion has always been so strange in that way because it's, it's utility mixed with art. You know, you can't just buy an art piece for $3,000 and have everybody appreciate it. A garment can really be appreciated by one person at a time and those who view it, right? So you are, in a sense, a walking piece of art, right? And that elevates you as a person. And it's very confusing in that way. What I kind of want us to all uh, start thinking about is how, what's the best way to express ourselves? And then after that, remove kind of the idea that someone is better than someone else just because they're wearing this, you know, it's, and I think that's really why my design sensibility has changed so much as well. How did working in Dubai kind of help shape that philosophy? What it must've been, you went from London and then you went home for a while, correct? Before you went to Dubai? Yes, I was home for about two years. And I think I definitely needed that those two years because if I went fresh, from London, because I thought London was going to be my home. And then you kind of recalibrate and say, what do I want from life? What do I need? And it made me stronger because I had to return back home. And I and I had to compare who I was now with who I was then, mixed with who was around me. And so when I went to Dubai, it's the land of excess. Um, it's also the land of status and equating um, luxury to a certain kind of person. And I just never, like... I just really need to express myself. And I don't think the way I always express myself there, people understood because it's not so much about, I like to say it like who what's considered fashionable uh, in the Middle East isn't always uh, considered tasteful or because they think luxury, I would say luxury plays a very massive part. And if you can afford luxury, you're a stylish person. And I don't believe in that. You know, I believe if you buy like a really well-made quality t-shirt and you put on a pair of jeans and whatever, and that's how you choose to express yourself the day, like you are no better than someone else who has a Birkin bag, you know. But sadly, that's not how everyone thinks. That's just like, I'm just really tired of that kind of idea. Um uh, just me as a person, I know it can exist. <laughs> it's like I'm a walking oxymoron and like all these like, these, these two things, these two ideas really clash with each other, but it's just what I believe in. And, uh, like, I was designing really intricate dresses, like, the, the ones that I've always wanted to make, and then suddenly it was too much. Like, but also I couldn't always do it the way I wanted to. They had to have sleeves or they had to be more modest. Like, I couldn't, suddenly I was in a place, I was like, you know what, it's another confinement for me. Like, I now I need to, like, then, then I went to another change where I'm like, what, what do I want? What would make me happy? And then suddenly it's funny because if we were going to go another moment where this parallels, it's like in high school where I, all of a sudden I couldn't like wear the things I wanted to because I was perceived a certain way or I didn't want to put any red flags up that would, uh, that would have people be against uh, who I was. Um, so I, I kind of calmed back down and I wore polos and I wore like the most boring black pants ever and I just hated it. And like towards the end of it, I was like, I'm wearing shorts, I'm gonna wear a crop, I'm gonna wear a purse, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. Cause I, I think I, in the end, like I knew I was gonna leave. And then I was just like, I'm done with this. And I think there's another kind of, there's another kind of rebirth for me. So that's a theme, that's a theme with me. Well, and that that theme of rebirth, like I hear it in 
you know, kind of how what you were wearing was reflecting either what you wanted to express or what you felt you couldn't express. And then I imagine there was also the journey of working under and for another designer happening yeah. at, at the same time. I mean, I imagine it, I, I would imagine that working for another designer has some really amazing experiences to it that must be close to your heart, but, but not, not all of them. I'm trying to think of the amazing experiences, and I would say I cultivated them myself. I um, I wouldn't call them a designer brand because they replicate other brands. Right. And that's just the honest truth. Um, so I was coming in there, and I really wanted to shake things up. I really wanted to, like, do what Ralph did to Dior. Not to say that John Galliano wasn't great, but, like, you needed a, a shake-up in the brand, and it needs to happen every once in a while. So I wanted to really do that, and that was kind of my going in and I was so excited too and it was I wouldn't say it wasn't a very it didn't it did promote a lot of creativity in myself I did have a lot of creative freedom it was they were basically all my designs they weren't like they weren't like someone else and I was like collaborating they were my designs I had final say on the collections I wanted to do what I didn't stand for is when someone would like because we did on a very made to uh, measure made to order basis and when you do that, you have a lot of people, if they don't have a prestige to the brand, they feel like they can go and they want to copy or something cheaper. And I just like, that killed me on designer. I'm like, I would rather not work than do that. Because I just, you know, and design sensibility always gets in the way and, um, you know, a pride, I would say. And not to say that a lot of brands don't do that because there's a really big couture brand right now that's just like, you know, is based in London who started off copying all these dresses from other designers too but and now they're their own brand but what's interesting is so many of these houses um they, they actually have so many designers whereas i was basically the designer for my brand through collections i have on my page um were all by me and i think you can take positives and negatives of every situation i'm still dealing with a legal battle with them I would say it's not the best thing ever but like I let's just say I wasn't in the best position to start my brand right now so it's really hard to move forward in a positive way when you have this one thing looming over you and you just want to forget because I don't believe in placing energy in something that you can't change but like literally if it's like there because you need to deal with it it just stops you from moving forward and um what else can I say about that situation <laughs> it's just a hoot you know, people see beautiful dresses and they think like it was all beautiful. The journey was beautiful. And truthfully, it's not, you know, it was a very heartbreak, heartbreaking, like great ups, but like extreme lows. Right. Because like no one, and this happens in London too. No one likes to have anything taken away from you. And then what's even worse as a designer, this happened when I was working in London, I will say the brand, it's Benavici because I was the sole creative director of this and someone stole all my sketches and all this stuff. Yeah, they stole my book of sketches when all of that work, when I was away that day. And then they ceremoniously, uh, they, they demoted me to illustrator and they fired me because they didn't want them knowing that I was the head creative. It was Benavici Couture. And I will say like, the, like that was my first taste of how vindictive people could be and like, how people could easily take credit for my work. And if you if you literally compare the collections, it's a collective growth of my journey. And this is what's so upsetting, because it is crystal clear that these designs aren't yours. I literally draped the pattern in my in my in my kitchen. My roommate tried it on before 
it went down on the runway. And then and then Rita Ora wore that dress and I didn't get any credit. Like I didn't like and that really prepared me for uh, fashion because that was a wake up call. And I think get everything in writing, like sign everything, make sure it's yours, scan everything. Because what what hurt me the most, but it still bothers me to this day, is because I believe who will, my designs are so much of who I am, so much of my journey. And it's, it's really a, a testament to like all my hard work. And then all of a sudden someone can just take it and say, you know, and call it and take it there and call it mine. And I'm just like, you're a weak person. You're a weak person because I've been erased from my, the last two brands I worked for, I've been erased from their Instagram, from their website. Like I, I can't, I can't even process it because for that, for me, that's not how I work, right? Yeah. And this is why I'm so protective of my design right now. Even on Next in Fashion, like the input, a lot of people, what's really, I don't, I don't let comments really bother me. But the one thing I really can't stand is when everyone says like Angela was the whole creative. And I've heard that comment. I'm like, no, I was, I know how to listen to people. And just because like, I don't, I'm not always talking about it doesn't mean like he's full creative. So many of those ideas are mine. Like, and like there was, it's a, it was, it was a teamwork effort. But like, when you're literally controlling the pattern, when you're literally doing this, you control the design, you know. I want to get team. into. I want to get into a little bit about about next in fashion. But first, yeah. I just want to, you know, just acknowledge what a what a like. Thank you for sharing that cautionary and painful tale. I think it's something that that young designers and even established ones that never never hurts to be reminded how important that is. Yeah. And, and in thinking of this this theme of of rebirths that you've been having. Um, is next in fashion almost like another bit of a rebirth? Like, let's start at the beginning. Like, did you audition for the show? Like, how did, what were the first kind of pieces of that coming together? Oh, that was such a, because one part of my life was ending. Like, Dubai was ending for me, and I knew that. I was just fired a month before I knew I was going to get into, like, next in fashion. Right, officially. Because, like, it was, like, I think it was, like, 2018, September 2018. Yeah, it's like October is when we started talking about it and they started emailing us. You don't audition, first of all. People find you. Really? Yeah. Another full circle moment. So I attended the fashion show of my first brand in London, which was Benavici. And I had no, like, I celebrated by myself. Like, no one congratulated me on the work I did in the collection. So, but I had this guy from Instagram who was at the show. Because he looked interesting. I knew he was something. He was like a stylist or something because I like lurked the company's Instagram. And I thought nothing of it. And then he would like my posts occasionally, or he liked them even more when I went to London. And then he actually put my name forward for Next in Fashion. So I'm always saying there's always positive because without that job, I would not have had the exposure I did with Next in Fashion. That's crazy. So it's crazy. So I'm just always like, you have to find the positives in every situation because uh, things are meant to happen in a certain way. And it's, it, was a, it was a lesson for me. So he put my name forward and they're like, they either contact magazines or like stylists or something. And they started emailing you. And I was like, oh my God, it's fraud. They want my, they want my passport. They want my it's, like, it's from Nigeria. I'm like, and I'm like, and I'm like, either this is going to save me or it's going to destroy me. And so I spent like the whole, basically it was a lot of back and forth and they would, they, the, they always said, um, the, the main concept of the show was 
uh, you'd be partnered up. And I'm like, but you can you can um, offer up a designer that you think would be good on the show if you know somebody. And I, like, I basically know nobody. And I think two people who I proposed and I felt comfortable working with, they weren't able to get on the show. And so that's why you have a lot of people you have some people on the show who had partners that they knew about or had very long relationships and I was just like hi Angelo (laughs) like I remember sitting in the airplane seat and like Angelo just got a text and he he messaged me because we think we spoke about once before before they finalized and he said um I just got approved my visa I'll be on I'll be uh in LA on like Saturday which is like a day and a half later and I'm like oh my god if I didn't get like, I would have no partner on the show. They would have to decide who to pair you up with, right? Um, so, but, like, I was, as much as, like, there was so much craziness in, in our partnership, I said, oh, I think, I know I wouldn't have any, I wouldn't work with anyone else on the show because Angelo is a giant sweetheart, and I, I really do love him. I was going to say, what was your motivation going into the show? Like, were you like, I'm well, going to like, I just want right. to show the world my stuff? Or were you like, I got, no, I don't even know what Well, to I was do. just like, I lost everything. Like, my, all my money was tied up and having to survive for five months without getting paid. <laughs> right? And, like, legal battles and all this stuff. And, like, I, I, ugh, I think I went to Next in Fashion with, like, $2,000 in my bank account, less than that. And... I was just like, oh my God, I have nothing. And I'm going to be a designer and I'm going to be in a room full of people. So I really had nothing left to lose. So I had everything to gain. And so I went there without any pretense about needing to grow my business or like make sales or whatever, because I literally had nothing. I had nowhere to start. Like I, like no one knew who I was, right? And so I went there and I just did my best. And I just wanted to express my best. That's why I had no interest in being catty or talking crap about other people. Like that never drove me as a designer. Like that's not a good motivator. If you wanna if you wanna prove something, be better. And that was always my motivator. Like show it through your work. Um, and uh, I think that's just another, like, you know, it, it, it really felt like one chapter of my life closing and like a new one opening up. But it was, I knew this one was gonna be really hard because this chapter was, it was, different when you were in Dubai and you had access to all this money and like all these materials and and then all of a sudden I was going to be in a situation where I it's going to be a really big mental journey with myself and without so many resources and um I was scared because like I've been designing dresses for three years (laughs) and I know like not every challenge is going to be a dress challenge so it really was like who am I just who am I as a designer what do I stand for what would I wear? And since ever since I started asking these questions, it opened up brand new ideas. And um, I, that was like such an eye-opening experience. And it was really weird because you couldn't say anything for a year. And uh, it just made me ask all these questions I've never asked about myself. Like, like, what do I wear that makes me super happy? That's like not a designer item that I can find somewhere else or um, you know, like what two people want from me because all like for three years, the only thing ever anyone ever wanted was me from was a dress. They said dresses were beautiful. Dresses are also unattainable. Like you don't see a girl going to like a grocery store wearing a ball cap. You just joke. I mean, I wish we did, <laughs> but they, it just doesn't happen. And all of a sudden, when you start to equate like fashion with living, and- was, did it surprise you then that it was the streetwear challenge that really like kind of that seemed to really be a moment for you on the show? Yeah, I think there were there were the two biggest moments for me 
because I always thought people wanted these dresses and I thought, you know, I won the first challenge. But then for me, the response from the streetwear challenge and the activewear challenge, which are like, that was really me. Like for streetwear, like she's literally wearing the same colors I was wearing the day I was making Because <laughs> I was like, if I was a girl, what would I wear? You know, like, I literally just made like a more interesting version of my own thing, right? And um, that's when you, when you start to take inspiration from your life, you know, literally what I was wearing on the show. Or like activewear challenge, like gym has such a big part of my life. When you start to stop thinking of this is another concept, when you're like small town boy, you're a dreamer. You want things that you can't attain, want things you can't understand. I did that. And now as I'm getting older, I'm nearing 30 next year, all of a sudden you start to factoring things like, who are you as a human being? How do people relate to you? And your idea as an own person isn't so far-fetched, you know, from what you should be designing. You need to understand it. Like, there are a handful of dress designers in the world. Majority of them are men. They're men who don't wear dresses, designing dresses for women who don't wear them that much. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. For what fine, that needs to happen. But what about people? What about, like, the person that wants to, like, wear a piece and feel beautiful? And, yes, there are a lot of, like... Um, fast fashion brands like this, but like it needs to, I, I just think it needs to be relatable and it just needs to speak to you on a daily level. It sounds like the experience of being on the show really like opened up a new part of your creativity as it, as, as it relates to fashion and expression and, and style. Mm-hmm. I, um, I didn't realize how much I was always constantly changing and putting in the, putting myself in these weird environments, which I really don't feel comfortable in, by the way. Every new situation I've been in, like people, when they hear my list of places I've lived or I've traveled to, they're like, oh my God, you've been there, you've been there. To the average person, designers travel a lot more than me. <laughs> but you know, for, for me, for the most part, living in, I would say about three different countries right now, they always think you feel super comfortable and you feel motivated, but like your fear your fear is surpassed by your need, I think, to be in that environment. Because for me, I never wanted to travel to a place and say, like, I want to be in that place and I want to live in that place. I don't think Dubai was always high on my list. I don't think London was high on my list. I think Paris was higher on my list. But like, I love those places for what they did to me. I wouldn't say, like, I, I would want to choose to live there permanently forever. But, like, those were very supreme parts in forming who I was as a person. And I think... Um, you can't let fear hold you back from being where you need to be. In my career, I've always gone for where I needed my career to be. And what was always heartbreaking was knowing I had to return, right? So like leaving apart parts of yourself all over the world, but having parts of the world in you as well. Um, and then having to start over, I think was always the most difficult part for me. It was, it's starting in a new country is easier than, than coming back, mm -hmm. I think. So I'm kind of dealing with that right now. I'm on a really weird journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I, as you were talking about living in different environments, you know, be it Dubai or, or London, I couldn't help but think, and the environment of a reality TV show must have been a whole nother kind of crazy environment to be in. What, what do you want people to know about the environment that was that show? Was it like, what was the pace like? What was it like think, in terms of energy in the room? Truthfully, I think it looked a lot more relaxed than it really was. <laughs> it was chaotic. We would like wake up at six o'clock, be in the lobby an hour later, be at the studio, 
film. Like the first week we were there, we were like training and get to know each other, doing outfits and things like that. Everything we wore had to be pre-approved, right? And that gave us kind of a period of bonding. I wouldn't say anyone went in there with kind of a vicious attitude. Um, I think later on when you develop, when personalities come out, um, people have preferences or like, you know, people like to blame things for other things that people didn't do. <laughs> um, and it was just the strangest environment. Whatever, you, like you never know how who you're gonna be on like be surrounded by other people being filmed, like not in your element. Like when I design, I don't wanna wear like tight things or like, I wanna be super relaxed when I design, I'm working. But like all of a sudden your hair is done, your like face is done and then like you're wearing this outfit and like the lights are really hot and I get so frustrated when it's hot. So I was like tearing things off and they didn't like when I did that. So like always I'd have like an outfit change because I'm like, I'm hot, I can't work. And I'm like, I'm, and I'm sewing so quickly, like just leave me alone. But like I like busted up my finger, you didn't see that. Like I was bleeding all the way down. I cut my leg, I was like bleeding down, like I got infected, like it was this whole thing. Like there was a lot of like, um, like we were super, we were super, like, I can't, I can't, I can't tell you how hard we were working. Like, everyone was working so hard. We were stressed out to the limits. Like, other reality TV shows, when you see them working, you know there's moments when there's quiet, and they're, like, chatting with each other? Like, I wasn't talking to anybody. I wouldn't even know what other people were making sometimes, because I had to be so focused. Like, it really is, like, it's, do you know, the, um, it's like a cooking show. It's like, do it all everything, that moment, right, then. like, it was the, I, uh it's crazy. It's crazy. It, it was so fast. And you never know how you're going to be represented on TV. So I had a lot of anxiety for a while. Like, how would people view me? Like, what would happen to me? Well, like, you came across, certainly, as just your lovely self on the show, I must exactly. say. The producers but, did, you, did you justice. Yeah, they did. And I, I, I'm so happy they showed more of my relationship with Angela than anything else. What's interesting is, to, is interesting too, is you have these two divides of people, because I think you have these people that are like, you know, uh, there's a time crunch. Charles has like Charles is working fast, da da da. And then you also have like this group of people like, why is Charles so angry, da da da. And I'm like, when I need to get something done, like it will get done. Like that's just for the sake of it. And what I loved about Angelo is he never took it personally. He always knew that he's like, I know you're doing this for the team. And I'm like, and it was like, was it was really like it was it was rough at sometimes because like we had a language barrier. We had a big language barrier. Like I had to like, I used to like whisper to Angelo when they were talking and they used to get mad at me because I needed to explain it to him. Cause he would, he would, he'd be like, Charles, I don't know what, I don't know what they're asking. And I'm like, it's okay. I'll explain it to you. So like me and Angelo had this really, really close relationship. And so when you see me and Angelo and I'm like, Angelo, move quicker, babe, please, please, please. Like I'm begging him at that point, really, because if he doesn't have that cut out, I can't sew this. Then that screws us over. And like, if like, we have to, we have to progress along together. You know, one of us can't fail. And so we always had this, like, beautiful heart-to-heart. -heart. And that's why Angel, I really loved being partnered up with Angel. He was, like, he he, remem he reminded me to, like, like, he really pushed my, create my own creativity as well. But he, he really gave, he injected love back into fashion, which I thought was so important, right? And I was just like, that's what it was missing. And everybody loved Angelo because he was such a genuine person. Right? And they all hated me because they thought I was a bitch to him. <laughs> but I wasn't. That's the thing, right? I was just like, we, I need to carry us along together. And that was just it. He's never been on a sewing machine. Like, the boy has never made a garment by himself. He's never sewn anything except by hand. He has a language barrier. Like, you, I, like, I just met him 
like it's the perfect breeding ground. I think other people would have screamed, but like I like, you know. So it's always interesting. I think people that can identify with a character that has been as aggressive in their vision as me, they don't always gravitate towards me. And that's perfectly okay because I think watching the show, you you see characters that look like people that you've met. And that's why you identify with other people more. But I just need people to know it's like, it comes from a very non-malicious place. Like me and Angela speak all the time. And uh, we're really friends. We really do love each other. So I just want to push that across. Charles, we're just getting ready to wrap up. And I'm thank you so much for being here. You've talked already a little bit about what you know, you hope the future of fashion brings. And as we're in this, you know, bizarre days of, of COVID, how are you thinking about like what you want your brand to be and, and its priorities? And if you could look down into some sort of, you know, crystal ball, what do you hope the future of fashion will look like for you and for the industry? For me, I want fashion to be more inclusive. I want I don't want to rip off my clients. Like I want them to justify the price that they're paying. And I want, I want to be able to express fashion in a way that like, I truly believe in it. Because I don't think I've always believed in my designs, especially what I've done in the past, because I've, they've always been like concepts and dreams. But I really want this to be a true reflection of myself. I'm really happy I didn't start my brand this year, like properly. Because God knows where it would have been. Like, I just, you know, so maybe it is a sign I didn't have the, my money uh, returned back to me for funding and maybe it's a good time to recalibrate how people shop and the mentality of how they approach fashion what's what i hear and i find actually really disgusting is right you have these giant halo brands brands right now who've actually done price increases especially on classic handbags and i find that disgusting like right now because they i don't know if they want to make their product even more expensive in a time of scarcity it's just like you have such a bad rep for fashion designers and young and budding fashion designers. If you look at brands that are like these mid-level entry designer brands who are like established a few seasons and they're very popular, their quality is through the roof and they're charging under a thousand Canadian dollars or around that mark, which is like the new normal for a bag, 500 you can get on sale, whatever. But like $8,000 for some of these bags, like 15,000 fine. If you want a hand ba- handmade bag, what like hand sewn, I understand it. It takes a lot of time. But like, it's for me, that's when you disrespect the client. And that's just something I'm not for. And it really does mirror the fashion show as this brand of something really unattainable. That's something, also something grossly unattainable. So unattainable, it's attainable in a way because it's, it's marketed so much but it's so not reachable that we aspire to have these things that equate with status for what reason? And I think that's really what we need to start thinking about self-expression, stop being so much of like lambs following each other and just, it's just really expressed the way you need to express. And that's what I, I will, I will say too, this, and I, when I, when I met Angela, which was so lovely with him, like, like we would go shopping in like, like these markets, like he went to like, he went to Chinatown a couple of times and like, like he just wears anything. Like he was making a, he made a jacket with just a bunch of safety pins on it and like wore it on the show like the day before. And like, it doesn't really matter where it comes from as well, but long, well-made, ethical, and hopefully sustainable. But you know, it, I just like, but don't disregard the client, respect the client. And I think in any situation, when you have respect and you have the thoughtfulness of the person buying it, in mind, that's when it really breeds good design because it should be 
something that people can understand, you know? Yeah. Charles, thank you so much for being here today. If people want to see some of the amazing designs you've done in the past and follow your journey, where's the best place for them to follow you? Uh, the best place to follow me is I have two Instagram accounts. My personal is Charles underscore 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 Lou or at Charles underscore Lou, which is my brand account. And I also have a website, charles-lou.com, which is all available if you find me on Instagram. And that's kind of where I'm just kind of, you know, funnily express expressing myself right now. And then you'll see like anything new for me happen for me there. It will be, it'll be some time. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here on Fashion Talks. I want to thank our producing partner, CAFA. You can learn more about the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards by following them on Instagram at C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S. You can follow me at This Is Donna B, and you can follow the podcast at Fashion Talks Pod. Until next time, I'm Donna Bishop, and this is Fashion Talks. Bye.